First of all, what's the matter with you? Second of all, you're dead to us. Third of all... Hey there, and welcome back to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, parenthood, publishing, and marriage. I'm Morgan Maiden. With me is my co-host and my husband, Barry Liga. Hey. Hello. Welcome. So, I'm going to dive right in. It has been a really exciting week in a lot of ways. I want to start with parenting. Okay. Because, first of all, it's always an exciting week in parenting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really think there's ever a dull moment. Um... But a couple of things happened this week with uh, with our baby, who I feel like, it's so funny, by the way, I keep calling her a baby. She's technically a toddler. Yeah, you know, most people I know call their kids babies until, like, you know, they go College. to elementary school, yeah, or, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, but it is hard because I do, she's probably so confused because sometimes I call her baby and other times I look at her and I'm like, you're such a big girl. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I, I tell, I call her a big girl and then in the next sentence I call her my little girl. Right, and right, so she's, yeah. Has no idea what big and little mean. Yeah, yeah. Poor kid. Um, anyway, so we've been, you and I have been talking all week about a couple of things. And then we got our 14-month... 15-month. 15-month checkup email from the pediatrician. She's yes. coming up on 15 months. Our pediatrician, just so people know, sends us a uh, an email a couple of weeks before each appointment to sort of let us know what that appointment's going to be like and what we can expect and what we should expect from... Our baby, yeah, our the milestones, yeah, the milestones, like and advice on common questions. Yeah, I think it's a way of them being able to get you out of there faster because hopefully <laughs> they answer most of your questions in <laughs> advance before you even get there. But I've always found them really helpful. They are; they're yeah. tremendously helpful. Um, and it, it's really funny because I had been noticing a couple of days in a row that our baby was sort of. Uh, objecting to some of the food that we were giving her. Yes. <laughs> and she's always been a baby who will basically eat anything. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Which has been awesome. But I found myself sort of slipping into that role of, oh, you don't want this? Let me get you this. Oh, right. you don't like that either? How about this? And just frantically like creating seven different mini meals during her lunch to try and give her something that satisfies her. So, uh, so that was sort of in the back of my head. And then we got this email from our pediatrician and it talked about that right. and it talked about discipline generally. And there've been a couple of articles in the news about, uh, rethinking, disciplining your kids and, and how young is too young for time out. I hear spanking is coming back. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> no. Um, anyway, so so it was just funny because we got that email, and then both separately, I think we thought, oh, right, we're heading in that direction, just inadvertently. Well, I mean, the experience that I had was I was in the process of feeding her lunch yeah. when I read that email. She was sitting in her high chair, and I was sitting with her. Wait, does this mean that you're reading? You're, you're on screen time while you're with her? Yes. Okay, that's not good. What? She's in the chair. You're not supposed to do that. No, she's in the chair eating. And and here's the thing. A lot of times, if she's eating, she wants to play with you instead of eating. So sometimes I will take myself out of the equation so, she, so that she focuses on the food and eats. So are you sitting in front of her on your phone? No. So you're no. just leaving her alone to eat? <laughs> no, I'm like behind her or off to the side. She's a baby. She doesn't know where I am. Anyway, so the important thing here is... I had fed her, I'd given her some food, and she was being a little persnickety about yeah. it. And I had just read that email. Yeah. And it had suggested, specifically, if your kid is picky, picky about food, yeah. refusing food, whatever, 
just say, okay, take the food away and don't feed the kid until the next, until the next meal. Mm -hmm. And they will learn, oh, when I'm picky about my food, I am hungry for a while. Yeah. And so it was lunchtime and she was being picky and I just decided, okay, that's what I'm going to do then. I said, all right, I guess you're done. And I took the food away and she was fine. Like, there's a part of you that is like, I can't make my baby go hungry. She was fine. Right. And, you know, I... She's not starving. If I hadn't just read the email, I don't know if I would have done it. Yeah. Because it, it's a tough thing to take food away from your child and not replace it with something else. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a temptation, like you said, like you've been doing, to run off and get something different. Just yeah. anything to get her to eat. I mean, seriously, it looks like a tornado has hit the kitchen yeah. every time I feed her because yeah. I've pulled out 18 different things. So that's what I did. And I'm glad I did it because she survived and I survived and, you know, her next meal came a few hours later and she ate just fine. So, and she showed no ill effects at all from any of this. You know, it's so funny when it comes to, uh, first of all, I don't like the word discipline just because it has a negative connotation, but obviously as parents, part of our role is disciplinarians, but it feels weird to talk about quote unquote disciplining our kid because she's so little. Right. It feels weird to deny, you know, a 15 month old, anything. I mean, right. 15 months old. And, right. and I remember, you know, I remember going to visit my best friend, um, when his kids were little and we were sitting in their basement, which was sort of their family room slash playroom area. And the kids had made a mess, of course. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was getting close to bedtime and the mom like was very upset that they hadn't cleaned the mess yet and sort of, you know, spoke very sternly to them and made them clean up. Okay. And I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, they're just little kids. What's the big <laughs> deal? Let them do it in the morning. Like, why, why, why are you being mean to them? Yeah. You know? And, and now I'm like, well, yeah, that's what you like. That's what you have to do. Cause yeah. otherwise, you know, you, we make the mistake of because children look like us and talk like us and act like us. We make the mistake of thinking that they think like us. They right. think rationally. They don't. Of course. Like their brains are still forming. And if you don't make them do something, they will think they never have to do it. They won't think, oh, this is a one-time thing. They think, no, this is the way of the world. Yeah. I never have to do this. And they'll yeah. be twice as angry the next time you make them do it. Yeah. So you've got to be sort of rigorous about it, I think. But it's really funny because I'd love to hear from parents who have more than one kid and see if they change their discipline approach um, from one kid to another. Because I keep thinking, and this is probably so, so stupid, but I can't, I can't help but think it. Like, we don't know what our discipline or lack thereof is or is not doing to our kid. Sure. Okay. So I don't know if my saying no and taking something away or my, you know, showing her to how to clean up her books and making her do it with me instead right. of running off and playing something else. I don't know if that's a registering, be helping, see good or bad. Yeah. And I feel like after this kid, when and if we have another, you'll have then a I'll better be like, idea. Yeah. Like at least I'll have <laughs> right, a sort of roadmap. Right. Like, yeah, you know, we did this with the first one and it worked great. So I'm going to keep doing it. Or there was no effect other than something negative. You know what I mean? So that's why the first one is practice. Well, I I can't (laughs) help but think like, yeah, the first one really is just a test drive. Yeah. Seriously. Seriously. (laughs) So, but it's funny though, too, because, you know, again, reading this email, it seems so mean. Like, and, and, and it feels like you're being mean to your kid. And it describes a situation, for example, and this is for something when she'll be a little older, because right now she doesn't really have a way to do this. But, you know, if you're getting ready to go out and your kid won't put his or her jacket on. Yeah. 
They say that the solution is not to be nice. The solution is not to try to cajole or to explain. Literally, it's a three-step process. And that process is pin your kid down, <laughs> put the jacket on, and leave the house. And, and, and they're like, that's what you do. And yeah. your kid will get over it. And they will realize, oh, I yeah. have to do this. Yeah. And it sounds horrible because I, I guess because you're thinking of your kid as, as a person, which of course they are, but they're not, they're not really people yet. Person. They're not fully formed, yeah. logical, reasonable people. So you're sort of like, thinking, you know, the rest of the country. Yeah. Right. So you're thinking to yourself, well, like what if say Morgan wouldn't put her jacket on and we were trying to go out and I'm like, put your jacket on. And you're like, no, like. <laughs> I would never in a million years pin you down and forcibly put your jacket on you, you know, but I'm supposed to do that with our child. And so it just, it feels really weird, but that's what you're supposed to do. And I have to keep reminding myself, like, that's that's my job. Well, because it makes me think of when we have to give her medicine. She doesn't want that either, she but guess it, what? Yeah. We've got to do it. So yeah. it's almost like, what is your conviction level as a parent? Right. How serious are you about the task that she does not want right. to do right. and decide accordingly? And obviously, 99% of parents are fine holding their kid down and, jam- right. and right. jamming medicine into them when right. they need it desperately. Exactly. But are you willing to hold your kid down to put a jacket on? Right. Yeah. Are you willing to say, oh, you're not eating that. I guess I'll take it away. Mm-hmm. You know? And, I, you know, yeah. our, our pediatrician's pretty smart so i you know i tend to go with their advice i will say i remember i think it was last month's email from them they talked a lot about the word no and how part of what babies her age toddlers her age are doing is exploring what no means and what what will elicit a no from mom and dad and what won't sure and i have to say ever since reading that i've been i say no more frequently Rather than simply just redirecting or, or, or letting her do something I don't want her to do, whatever. Right. And it has been fascinating watching her accept, like learn to accept what no I'm, means. I'm actually amazed. And I don't know if it's if it's a tone of voice thing or if she's just really bright and understands or if it's she's just, just a or, or if it's just sheer coincidence. But I can't tell you how many times she has gone to do something yeah. and I have just said no and she, and she looks stops. at me and she stops. Yeah. And I'm like... And I'm kind of stunned. I'm like, that worked? Yeah. Like, it's probably going to be the only time in her life it'll ever work. I mean, (laughs) I should enjoy it now. But it's really amazing to me that she gets it. Well, anecdote time. For some reason, she loves when I hoist her up and rest her on the bathroom sink. Yeah. And she's leaning against me, and I'm holding her, of course. But she likes to open... And she's standing. We should make people... She's standing. Yeah. Yeah. She likes to open... A, she likes to look at herself in the mirror, because she's my kid, and she's She's a little vain. She's the most vain baby in the world. (laughs) But B, she likes to open the cabinet and look at the the contents. Right. She's a snoop. Yeah, she... (laughs) No, obviously, there's a lot of stuff in there that she is not allowed to touch, okay? Like my ecstasy. <laughs> oh, God. You keep that in the bathroom? That's a weird place. Yeah, where, where else would you keep it? <laughs> no, it but- makes you thirsty, and there's a sink right there. <laughs> Wait, how do you know that? <laughs> keep going. Okay, anyway. She loves dental floss, which I can't... I, I mean, again, oh, she's that, her mother's child. That is one of the most hilarious things. She carries that little container of dental floss everywhere, and I find it all over the house. And every it's night just, I have to go hunting for every it. Every night we I have to go looking it. for the yeah. damn dental floss because it's somewhere in there. She doesn't open it. Like, I don't want people to think, no, like, yeah, she's yeah. chewing right, on it yeah, or, like, yeah. choking herself she just with let, it. Maybe it's the color. I don't she know. She likes carrying the little the little case of dental yes. floss around. Yeah. So, anyway, so she will 
she knows what no is, so yeah. she will touch various things or point to various things in the bathroom medicine cabinet right. and waits for me to say no. Yeah. Or yes, because there's a couple of other things that I say yes to right. that she can pick up and she just shakes it and then puts it back down. Anyway, so watching her understand the word no has been it's so it just sounds so silly to say, but like all of her other aspects of human development, it's just a really interesting process. Wait until she starts saying Well, no. I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm really excited. And she does say no. She just doesn't say no. She says no. 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 Yeah. So anyway, it's a, it's a hoot. So it's been a cool week watching our, our baby explore and experiment yes. and, and, and whatnot. Um, but basically, yes, you can be mean to your baby is what it comes well, down and, to. And I, and I would go so far as to say, and perhaps this is controversial, you should, you should be, be mean to your baby. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you, you really should. And I, yeah. I know some people will disagree with that, and that's okay. It's okay to be wrong. Yeah. Um. I, you know, I, and I never thought I would find myself feeling that. Like, yeah. You know, I, I, again, I was the guy who sat there and watched my godchildren get yelled at for not cleaning, cleaning up, up their stuff and thinking, come on, like the little one's only four, like right. four years old. Right, and now yeah. I'm like, hell no, man, four months old, clean up your crap. <laughs> so yeah, I get it. I get it. Okay, so I want to move into uh, a writing update here. What? I know. I have a confession. You're not Catholic. It doesn't count. (laughs) I am not using your infamous cheat editing method that we talked about last week. I like the fact that it's in one week. It has become infamous. (laughs) It has. We already got email feedback about it, which I'll come to later. First of all, you will fail now. (laughs) No, but here's what happened. I sat down to do it. Yeah. Well, I should say, I sat down to begin the revision process, and I was thinking that that's where I would start is, and for those who didn't listen to last week's episode, first of all, what's the matter with you? Second of all, you're dead to us. Third of all, here's what it said, which was that basically Barry goes through every chap- every page and cuts about 10% of that page. Well, for the first 100 pages. Right, yeah. And this, was only, this is only for one or two books. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a way to jumpstart, if you're having a pacing problem at the beginning of your book, it's a way to jumpstart the process mm-hmm. of, of speeding things up. Yeah. That's all. So that was my full intention. And instead, I sat down and started playing in Scrivener. That's because you were dabbling with my ecstasy. And yeah, right. you got crazy ideas in your head. yeah. Say no to drugs, kids. So um, I opened up Scrivener, which I have, actually haven't opened up in a while because I wrote this book in Scrivener, but then I did a lot of edits in Word for some reason. I know. I don't oh, know what happened. God, there. just the thought of using Word just <laughs> ugh, gives me the creepy crawlies. But I, I had an idea, and I used the note card functionality in Scrivener, which for those of you who don't use Scrivener, um, it is really cool. It looks like a corkboard. And you literally, on your screen, get to paste and move around index cards. And that way you can figure out... That represents scenes and chapters. Exactly, yeah. You can can figure out chapter structure and and whatever it is you need to do. So I took the first, um, I think it's eight or nine chapters, which the the ninth chapter is the event that I need to move forward a lot. So I knew that that was where really I needed to, to focus on. So I laid out those nine chapters in the corkboard functionality of Scrivener and moved them around. And that took a while for me to figure out uh, how I could condense things, move things, whatever. And that's what I'm starting with instead of the Barry Liga method. So I think that's actually very cool because one of, you know, I'm teaching a class in revision. Yeah. Any, any minute now it starts. And one of the things I'm teaching is there are an infinite number of ways to revise a novel the only one that matters is the one that works for you. Yeah. You know, I mean, people can give you advice, but 
yeah. what matters is what works for you. But I'm, I'm having a very illuminating revision process already. So as I began and started that process, uh, I also, at the same time, started rewriting a little bit. I shouldn't say rewriting. It's not rewriting. I'm editing. So I sort of have taken... The fact is I need to combine some chapters and move some stuff that happens in some of the early chapters into later chapters. All fine and good. Uh, but I did find myself, as I was doing that, looking at words on the page and thinking, do I need this? Because I could cut this. This could right. be part of the 10% that I should probably cut anyway. Yeah. So, um, Have you considered just changing the chapter numbers so that it seems like it happens sooner? <laughs> so starting at like negative five? Right, right. And then you say, We're just at- having like prologue one, prologue two, prologue three, <laughs> and then chapter oh, one. Oh, <laughs> God, no, not multiple prologues. Um, anyway, so are you excited to start teaching? I... I don't know what to think. I, you know, it, it's strange for me because it's an online course. I've never yeah. done anything like that before. You know, I, I've done some in-person teaching and I've done mentoring for students in this same program and, and I've enjoyed that. Uh, so I don't know what to expect, uh, you know, but the, the class is ready. It's all put together. It starts very soon mm-hmm. and we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm, you know, I'll start getting some pages from students and I'll be reading them and my nights basically are about to disappear because that's what I'll be doing. Um, it, it, it'll be interesting. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, the pub down the street is really going to miss you. Yeah. The pub. (laughs) (laughs) That's a joke because we never go out. (laughs) We never, we never go out. We never go out. Yeah. Uh, okay. So can we talk for a second about focusing? Sure. Here's my problem among many, obviously. Uh, I'm working on, like three or four different things. Yeah. And the other night as I was trying to fall asleep, which by the way is where my most, um, my biggest moments of clarity tend to come in right before Doesn't I fall asleep. Suck? I know. And then I say to myself, remember this, remember this. And I don't, I don't trust myself anymore. I get up and I write yeah, it down, I mean, which is terrible. Depending... Cause then you, then you really can't fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's pretty brutal. But anyway, I had one of those the other night and, uh, yeah. So, I guess my question is, I came home from work one day and I said, I have an idea. The two essays that I'm working on, those are going to be for weekends. Right. That's when I'm going to work on those. Weeknights are going to be this this manuscript revision. Right. And I guess that's a solution for now that I'm trying. But I guess my question is, do you have any tips or tricks for focusing on projects when maybe you... You're working on a bunch of different ones, and you're not sure. Yeah, I mean, what the schedule I, is or I actually wrote a lengthy blog post a number of years ago about how to write more than one novel at a time. I remember that, actually. and um, we can link to that in the show notes okay. for, pe- for people who are interested in, in Uncle Barry's tips for writing multiple novels. Um, I, I, I think it becomes a more difficult question when time is more constrained. You know, I wrote like, that yeah. I wrote I wrote that blog post at a time when I was footloose and fancy free. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had just endless hours in every day. And now, as we both know, we're lucky to have a couple of hours at night to yeah. work uh-huh. each night, and maybe a few hours each day on the weekends. And and by a few, you mean like one? Well, it depends on her naps yeah, and things yeah. like that. So. You know, it becomes even more constrained then. And, and some of my techniques don't work in that case. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I think what you've done is really valuable because you've, you've, even though it's artificial, you've created a system for yourself. Mm-hmm. 
You know, you've said, I'm going to work on this at this time and this and this time. And what that does is it gives you permission to slack off on one thing while you focus on the other. Yeah. And then yeah. you, and then you don't get this psychological backlash effect of, oh, I wrote or I edited or whatever, a thousand words of my novel, but crap, that essay, I'm, I, it, it did nothing. And, and did I use my time wisely and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You, you've eliminated those problems because they're irrelevant now because you weren't supposed to be working on the essay tonight anyway, because you're supposed to be working on that over the weekend. It's still such a challenge though, because part of what's going on with me right now is it feels like, uh, like the two essays that I'm working on feel very seductive because they're a, a little bit easier than this revision B certainly a hell of a lot shorter. So, yeah. so they feel a lot more achievable in the short term. Of sure, course. So, sure. so it's this weird thing where uh, even as I have set this, quote unquote schedule and committed to uh, working on it that way. I'm still finding myself drawn to whatever other project I'm not working on at the moment, which is again, there's a lot going on there. Well, I mean, that's, well, that's also just as natural as the grass is greener on the other side. It's always, it's always more fun to work on the thing that you can't be working on at the moment. Um, because whatever you're working on is work. You know, whatever you're not working on, by definition, isn't work. Right. So, but I, no, I mean, I, I think given the constraints of your time and your attention, you, you've done the, you know, you, you've set it up the best that you can. I mean, you can't, you, you could thin slice it and you yeah. could go ahead and say, you know, all right, when I get home from work, I'll spend 45 minutes on one and 45 minutes on the other. Oh, dear. But yeah. that feels That's tough. That feels tough to shift gears like yeah. that, you know? I mean, it might take you 45 minutes just to get into a groove yeah, on something. Yeah. And then and then you're suddenly yeah. slamming on the brakes and throwing it into reverse and, and whatever other automobile metaphors we decide <laughs> to use. I, I, I mean, I, I think the furthest I might be willing to go with it in your situation would be to alternate days. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I could try that. But I mean, the thing that you're doing right now is working on one idea for a few weeks, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. To another. I mean, I am, to give people an update, I have finally finished the Billy Dent short story. Applause. Let there be parades in the street and slaughter the fatted calf in my name. Uh, it took, or don't. It took for. Ever. That, was a, that was the longest short story I've ever written. Well, and, and and part of it is that it's a long short story. It's like 12,000 words. Oh, wow. Which, you know, is a long short story. Um, when I say I'm done with it, I mean, I've got a draft finished. I have to, right. re- I haven't read through it. Yeah. You know, I, I need to read through it and fix it and everything. But it's all down on paper now, which is good. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I will be um, either in the coming week. Or the week after, I will be starting to work on a project. I've got two different novels that I want to write, and I don't know which one I want to write. So I'm going to do the same thing I did last year and talked about on the show, where I'm going to work on one for a week or two and then work on the other one for a week or two and then see where it stands. And, uh, you know, but but that's different because I'm not, you know, I'm starting something. Mm-hmm. You're not starting that's something. True. You have multiple projects. You have these two essays that are in various states of of. Yeah. Of draft. Yeah. And you have this novel that, you know, you're, you're revising mm-hmm. for, you know, for potentially for agents. And that's a whole different scenario than, you know, exactly what you want. You want these two essays done and you want this book done. Yeah, that's true. I don't know which of these two books I want to write yeah. right now. I, I want to write both of them and I can only write one. And in order to figure it out, I've got to 
I've got to really uh-huh. dig in on both on yeah. both of them. Yeah. You know, each of them at different times. So it, it's a different scenario. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for that. Stay tuned. I guess. Um, something else exciting happens this week, which is we got a great email from a listener named Daniel. What? I, I'm so upset that you're putting follow up at the end. Follow up goes at the beginning of the show. You should just be lucky that I'm putting it in. Up. But I liked what Daniel had to say, and I wanted to bring it up here. Yeah. Because he had um, basically he had one follow up thought and then two new questions. So I want to yes. run through those quickly. They're all kind of related. Yeah. So um, he, first of all, was commenting on the Barry Liga cheat editing method. Yes. And he says, should people do that throughout the whole manuscript? Whether or not you're trying to speed up a slow beginning right. or move a chapter up, whatever, should that just be a sort of regular step you take as you're revising your, your complete manuscript anyway? And I kind of want to go with yes. I kind of want to go with, I don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't. I mean, I... Well, if you if you subscribe to the philosophy that uh, you should say, if something takes... If a thought takes 10 words to say, to express, right. then yes, there should only be 10 words. If you can get it down to nine words, great. But if you can get it down to 10 words and you still got 15, you're failing, right? Like go down to 10. Well, maybe, but there's something to be said for the felicity of language and no, style I, and, and I voice. totally agree with you. you know? Yeah. But, but I do think when you, um, it, it's got part, some, some of it has to do with word count. So yeah. if you have a 150,000 dollar (laughs) let's not go there yet if you have a 150,000 word YA novel then yeah I think you're really going to benefit from going through the entire thing and cutting 10% of it minimum yeah Um, if you are at 51,000 words and you think that they are all necessary then uh, certainly reread it with an eye towards editing, but I don't think you need to subscribe to the 10% philosophy. To me, it's less about word count and it's more, it really is about pacing. Yeah. And the reason why I used the Barry like a cheat method in the cases where I did, I used it on the parts of the books in question that had pacing problems that were slow. That felt like they were which, dragging. Which yeah. in the case of my books always tends to be the first you know, fifth, the first quarter of the yeah. book, whatever. Which I think and if you ask most agents, I think most agents, most editors, most, most yeah. authors will say the beginning is the tough part. You're figuring things out. Yeah. I think that as the book progresses, you become more confident and you tend to know your story better. You tend to know your characters better. You get into a groove mm-hmm. and the pacing becomes less of an issue. Yeah. So I would say use it throughout if you feel like it's a slow pace throughout. Yeah. But you know, I, I was specifically using this for a very specific reason and I suggested it to you because you had the same problem. Same problem. Yeah. The same problem. The first hundred pages were too slow according to multiple readers. Yeah. And you know, so I would, I, I, I would say to Daniel, it's useful in for any stretch of pages where you feel things are slow. Yeah. And if that is, if that's page 200 to page 212, great. If that's from the beginning to the end of the book, Great. Use it wherever you feel things are slow. Yeah. It's funny. I find that with every book that I've written, by the time I get about 75% of the way through, yeah. I think to myself, oh my God, end it already. Like, what, <laughs> really? what exactly do I need to write to uh, finish this damn book? Right. What do I, what, who, who do I have to kill to get out of this joint? <laughs> who needs to go to jail? Who right. Yeah. But, um, so I do find in all of the past books that I've written, 
the second half of the book is much faster paced than because you're first. just like blasting well, along. Well, because I, I, you know, <laughs> part of it is this idea that you've talked about before, where um, when you write a book, you know how to write, you finish writing a book knowing how to write that particular book, yeah. but not to write the next one. Yeah. And I think that's true in a lot of ways, but one of them for me is that by the time I get three quarters of the way through this particular book, right. I figured out how to write it, yep. what everyone's doing, and yeah. how to end it. And, and you're just so, done with it. You're yeah, over it. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, it was funny. Yeah. Okay, so Daniel's second question. This is very intriguing, and I actually don't know the answer to this for you, which okay. is before you start writing a manuscript, how well do you know your protagonist? Yeah. And my answer is not very well at all, and that's part of the joy of writing is figuring out who this character is. Um, I do know some people who come up with, like, full-on character descriptions. They write diary <laughs> entries in their I know. Character. They have, like, bios and backstory. They do. They, was, yeah. i got to tell this story. I shouldn't tell this story, <laughs> but I'm going to tell this story. Back, back in my misbegotten youth when I was writing comic books, terrible, terrible comic books. Do not seek them out, listeners. <laughs> um, I was having lunch with the editors and the folks at the comic book publisher. They were taking me out to this place and it was some kind of like local burger joint in Texas where like you could customize your burger like infinitely. Like there were so many different ways to customize your burger, whatever. It's what they do in Texas. I had my burger made. It was a very good burger. Ate it. We're sitting there eating. And uh, the one, the editor looks at me and goes, so how well do you know your main character? What kind of burger? How would she prepare her burger? And I remember, honest to God, my thought was, that is the dumbest thing I've like, ever heard in my life. I would walk out of that room now. <laughs> but this was the guy who signed my checks. <laughs> and so, and, and, but I had no answer. Like, there's yeah. no, like, like who the, who the f*** cares, yeah. you know? Unless it's relevant to the story. So, I gave it a moment's thought. And then I said, well, actually, you know, I kind of think she's a vegetarian. <laughs> so I just completely wussed out and dodged the question. And he was like, oh, that's interesting. And I'm, and I'm thinking, no, it isn't. Yeah. I, you know, uh, people who write, you know, bios and backstories and character profiles for their characters. Hey, whatever, again, there's no rules in this. Right. Whatever works whatever for you. Whatever gets it done. But, yeah. but, but don't be impressed with yourself. Like, mm. you know, like that's just a tool that you're using. Well, and also like, don't think that it's mandatory. Well, don't think that it's mandatory. And also don't think it means you know your character better than I know my character. You just know useless stuff about your character, right. you yeah. know? Um, so anyway, I, you know, I, my protagonist, I always say, that when I before I can actually start to write a book, I need to know how it begins, I need to know how it ends, and I need to know something important about my protagonist. Who knows what that is? Just something important. And I need to know some sort of epiphany he or she will have mm. during the course of the book. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean any of that actually ends up in the book. Yeah. Those are just the guideposts that I use to start. You know, in the case of Boy Toy, I knew all of that. And guess what? I changed the ending. Ah. <laughs> like a third of the way through Boy Toy, I realized, wait a minute, I'm not headed towards that ending. Okay. And I decided, and I didn't know where I was going at that point, but uh-huh. I said, I'm just going to see where this takes me. And I went with it. But I couldn't start writing it until I thought I knew where I was going. Okay. So, so as far as the protagonist goes, 
Usually I know more than that, but I need to at least know something important about him or her and some sort of a, a important emotional epiphany. Okay. Uh, and, and that's usually enough for me to get started. Yeah. I think that's really smart, um, you talking about the, a character's emotional epiphany. I don't know that I would have phrased it that way, but I think that that's really all that I need. Yeah. I need, um, we've talked about this before, but I don't, uh, like a character doesn't come fully formed to me. Yeah. Uh, a theme doesn't come fully formed. None of that. Instead, I hear, um, I get a line or two yeah. that I think I'm going to start a book with and right. then go from there. And like this whole world unfolds from there. But it is true that in the very beginning, um, no matter how little or how much I know of my main characters, I do have an idea of what this emotional epiphany is going to be in the book. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Yeah. So I, I think that was smart. Um, Daniel's follow-up question is, is uh, goes along with this one, which is, do you change your protagonist's personality as you continue writing the book? And just from my personal experience, one of the things that's been most fascinating for me about this revision that I've worked on all this, all during 2015 was uh, I have two main protagonists in, in this manuscript. And one of them has always been really hard for me to nail down. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until this revision that I finally realized Oh, no wonder she's been hard to nail down. I've given her like six different personalities. It totally <laughs> depended on like who she was depended on where the book she was. Cause I, I she was just like this moving target for me. Yeah. I, I couldn't figure her out. And so this revision really brought a lot of clarity to me about who she is. So I changed her personality in a lot of places to match the one that I had already put down that I thought best represented her. So, right. um, but, you know, if, you, if you're someone who has a more clear understanding of your character from the beginning, that's a good question for you to, to tackle. I, I think ideally what you do is you discover new facets of their personality, things that, that you may hitherto been unaware of. Yeah. Um, and, and my favorite example, and I've talked about this a lot in, at conferences and on panels and I've blogged about it, but from the show Twin Peaks... There is a character named Albert who is an FBI coroner who comes to Twin Peaks and shows nothing but contempt for the yokels and locals and insults them and is mean to them. And at one point, the sheriff has, is so fed up that he punches Albert, just decks him. And, of course, by this point, you are trained to expect that Albert is just going to go nuts at this point, just beat the crap out of the sheriff. And instead, he gives this amazing speech that, I have sort of half memorized, but I won't embarrass myself trying to recount it, but basically stands up and says to the sheriff, you know, basically hit me as much as you want. I'm happy to take a punch, um, although I'll never throw one. I'm a hatchet man in the fight for peace and justice. <laughs> and, you know, you know, my, I, I believe so wholeheartedly in peace and brotherhood that, you know, I would you, know, you could hit me as much as you want and I would never hit you back. The, the, the foundation of such a philosophy is love. I love you, Sheriff. And then he hugs the sheriff and leaves. Okay. And it's and it's yet it's entirely consonant with, with everything that had come before with the character. Okay. Like it's possible for him to think these people are yokels and idiots. And but also, love them, but yeah. also love them and be a pacifist and, and believe yeah. in that. And it's so well done. It's so well executed. And I always use that as an example of how a character can surprise and shock you in a way that is completely consistent and doesn't require you to think, oh, the writer messed up. Yeah. You know? And so ideally that's – you discover that 
in your characters as you're writing. You find weird things and peculiarities and strange things and things that seem inconsistent, but in reality make perfect sense and are and totally mesh with everything else that the character has done. I guess that's what's maybe always turned me off about having very complete character profiles before you start a book is are you boxing yourself in? Right. I mean, I yeah. always wonder about those people. Like, like when they... And, you know, I, I don't want to judge them because I've never actually talked to somebody who's done that about this particular issue. But, like, if you're, if you know, if you have established something in your character profile and you get to page 100 in your book and you realize that you need your character to do something else and it could work, but it directly contradicts the profile. Yeah. Do you just say, screw it and toss out the profile? Yeah. Or like, do you how feel, married are you Yeah, do you profile? feel... Yeah. Do you feel that you have to keep yeah. going with the profile? I, I have to know. imagine if you're someone who's written multiple components of a character profile like the more you know about the character you've got to feel pretty wedded to it yeah Yeah. so anyway we'd love to hear from more people about that yeah tell us and daniel thank you for those questions and for listening they were awesome great questions so let's uh segue into reading recommendations and or what are you reading now yes okay mine is both always um i am reading the girls at the kingfisher club by genevieve valentine which a Great author name, by the way. Um, B, That's like is, half the battle right there. Is, yeah. Um, no, but B, this is one of those things where my twin sister and I have switched e-readers. And I've talked about this before, but she does That feels cool like thing. the beginning of a sitcom, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> she does this cool thing where she just orders the books in the order that she wants me to We've read We've talked them. about this before. Uh-huh. It's her passive-aggressive way of controlling you. <laughs> well, it works. And I like it. <laughs> but, and again, it's always such an interesting experiment because I don't even look at the title and I don't look at the author as I go through the list and start reading these books. Right. So I, I'm just going in blind, which is really cool. I am obsessed with this book. It is phenomenal. It came out last year. And what's even cooler about it is that I was so obsessed with it the other morning that I did, even though I'm not done, I quickly Googled it just to see, um, cause I wanted to see the release date. Like I, I was just suddenly like, how old is this book? I knew nothing about it. Right. I was, again, going in blind. And, uh, the first hit that I saw was an NPR interview and I saw right away, this is not a spoiler, that this book is based on the fairy tale of the 12 dancing princesses. Uh, I do not know that fairy tale. So I am going to be reading that immediately following this book. So it's one of those cool instances of a book that is directly making me read another. Something else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So so anyway, I'm loving it. I highly recommend it. And uh, that's where I am. What are you reading? What do you recommend? So I just started reading You Too Can Have a Body Like Mine. By Alexandra Kleeman. Such a great title. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I haven't really formed an opinion yet. I, I'm, I downloaded the sample and I'm, I'm just, just starting it. Um, I, I, I don't know what this book wants of me yet. So okay. um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll keep going. It might take me a while to finish it because my class starts yeah, soon and, yeah. and I won't have a lot of free reading time. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know yet where, where I will be with it when next we speak. All right. Well, that is it for this week. So thank you everyone for listening. You can visit us online at writinginreallife.com. Uh, and don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a rating. We're doing well. We have a five-star rating. Our average is five, seriously. So everybody go contribute and keep it going and give us five stars. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.